My jaw has been down on the floor uh, ever since we've been seeing footage coming out of Maui. It is unbelievable, that footage that you're reporting on. And we will continue to see much more of that. Uh, it is. It's terrible. It is it is really unbelievable what's going on there. And uh, now, within the last uh, 24 to 36 hours, word comes that uh, emergency sirens that should have gone off did not mm. when this uh, began. Yeah, there, so well, there's going to be a big question. There is why a lot of investigating as to you know how all this happened, how the response was not as fast as it could have exactly. been. Exactly. Yeah. But just to to see the footage of this this fire out of control, I read something this morning that trees that have already burnt down, the roots of those trees underground are on fire hmm. i would i would think that, that would happen? be the case because the heat is so intense i know but doesn't it need oxygen doesn't doesn't the fire need oxygen to it, it can spread down there depending on where those roots are and how deep they may go why uh, yes yeah fire needs oxygen exactly but uh, i guess it gets uh, enough can happen. apparently it's it enough to continue burning yeah it just, i mean it just gives you uh, i mean just the the visualization of how fierce this is. And you know what else I thought of this morning? I was driving in uh, and thinking, I wonder if this is what Chicago was like when, you know, during the Great during Chicago Fire. During the Great Chicago Fire. If, if uh, this kind of raging, out-of-control fire is must have been what it was like then. Well, there were reports that, you know, at, at the fires most intense here in Chicago, that the flames were actually jumping across the Chicago River. Right. Mm. Right. When it was that, you know, they were just sparks would fly and, uh, uh, you know, the, the sidewalks were raised at the time. They were wooden sidewalks in areas. Very, very dry timber leaves underneath because right. it was fall. That just, you know, aided and abetted the fire. Right. Thanks, Mrs. O'Leary. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that disproved? Yes, it was. O'Leary and the city council cow. actually... Uh, declared that Mrs. O'Leary and the cow were not at fault. <laughs> that poor cow. It's like such a bad rap. <laughs> Lived with it for the rest of its natural exactly. yes. life. Yeah. The cow was put out to pasture, I, shall we I say? I tell you, I didn't do it. <laughs> no one will listen to me. No one will listen to me. <laughs> well, horrible, uh, horrible situation in Maui. We'll continue to report it. And... Uh, I, I wanted to give um, some places that you can go to donate to help people there. I mean, people are stepping up like crazy. Uh, Jeff Bezos donated like $10 million. I saw $100 million. Is it $100 million? Yeah, he and his fiance. I saw, I saw an incredible amount that he donated. So if anyone else has $100 million uh, just sitting around this morning... Uh, whatever donation you can make, you can text the word Red Cross to 90999, and that'll be a $10 donation. Every little bit helps. Can you imagine? Like, every single thing that you have is suddenly gone. Yeah. yeah. Least we can do is help. Right. Not only that, we've seen interviews, and in, I think we all have, though, of, of people that are, don't know where loved ones are. Yeah. They're there, and they don't know where they are or how they are, um, and that's going to continue for a long time. Uh, you know, the, the cleanup is going to take 
years oh, oh my and things there things that will never be the same we'll talk more about it later i mean i've been fortunate enough to have visited maui and it's so beautiful and tropical and i can't even imagine what it's like now i mean, just what i see the the flames out of control we'll talk more about it uh, throughout the show didn't mean to start the show on such a serious and sad note well, it's an overwhelming story though it is it is i like to start the show on a lighter note though ordinarily making fun of me yeah true <laughs> i guess you could call that a lighter note i should have ended on the cow bit that, that I did. <laughs> yeah that was a good that would have been a good out <laughs> mm. Mm, i didn't do it mm. Mm. yeah see it's not funny the second time fresh off of her uh, unbelievable show at wrigley field last night i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say maybe one of the most amazing concerts i've ever seen in my life uh a musical and visual extravaganza shawnee it probably was like the first time that you saw petula clark <laughs> <I'm a mess. laughs> like elton I, I don't know if you know this that dave is known as elton uh dave petula petula, <laughs> petula Schwan. like elton jim how many times have you seen petula clark on TV? Hundreds of hundreds times. Hundreds of times on TV. Hundreds in of person? Times. You try, Never. You try singing the song downtown and see if Schwanee doesn't go nuts. <laughs> uh, but I still have the record. Uh, downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. downtown. Don't wait a minute for... All I can think about is the Seinfeld episode that uses that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know why I thought of Petula Clark. <laughs> I guess I guess Pink would might be considered the Petula Clark of her, of her day. I'm t- let me tell you something. Uh, I've seen many a concert, and I've always said that Tina Turner is my favorite concert of all time because of her what you know what she does f- physically, what she does in addition to sounding great and putting on an amazing feast for the ears and the eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I think, I don't mean any disrespect to Tina Turner, I think Pink topped it last night. Hmm. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing show that starts. Now, Andy, you were at the Bruce Springsteen show on Wednesday. On Wednesday, yeah. Since, and so was I. Because uh, that's really all I do in my spare time is go see shows. And you should. Why not? Uh, so they have this big, uh, setup. What would you, how, how would you describe this out? It's right in front of the scoreboard. Yeah. It's out in center field. The big stage is right in, right there in center field, right in front of the scoreboard. And this big, uh, you know, setup of lights and yeah, big these, video screens uh, uh, surrounding him. Yep. Uh, and Springsteen was just absolutely amazing. He was awesome. Also, by the way. Uh, but Pink starts off her show last night at the top of this rig that's as high as the scoreboard, easily as high as the scoreboard, the top of the, the scoreboard, uh, and bungee jumps onto the stage. Wow. Bungee jumps onto the stage and starts the show with that song that, that I just played, get the st- party started, uh, and then just you know proceeds with the show. That is uh, full. She sounded great. She was personable and charismatic and thoughtful and full of energy and fun. But then ends the show. You know, she's kind of famous for doing these wire acts 
uh, she she they they hook her up to this rig, and she goes flying around Wrigley Field. <laughs> you know, she not only just goes up into the into the air, but literally this wire contraption is th- flying her through Wrigley Field through the perimeter of the park as high as the upper decks. I'm sure that this is going to be on YouTube. You know, somebody's going to post it. I'll have it tomorrow morning on the TV morning news so you can see it. But uh, I've I've just never seen anything like this where, you know, pink is flying above your head on these wires while she's singing, not missing a beat, completely on key. Uh, and just she, she put on a party last night that was just absolutely unbelievable. Hmm. Really fun. Like when you saw Freddie and the Dreamers for the first time, Schwani. <laughs> Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Gary Lewis and the Playboys. <laughs> this diamond ring, ring doesn't shine, shine for me anymore. anymore. And this diamond ring doesn't mean <laughs> what it went- <clears throat> did before. Did before. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, just... So amazing. if your heart won't <laughs> have to break like mine did... Um, <laughs> it was, uh, who wants to buy, this? you know what else, you know mm-hmm. what else I noticed at Wrigley Field, Andy, you probably noticed this on Wednesday when you were there for mm-hmm. Springsteen and I, let me, can I just say this before I make my comment about this, Bruce Springsteen completely, literally nonstop yeah. for three hours, three hours. Yeah. The man is not a spring chicken. No, he's, he's in great shape. You know, they all are, but Bruce uh, and at the E Street Band, the, uh, an amazing, amazing group of musicians. Wow. Um, they literally did not stop playing for three hours. One song would end and they would just flow right into the next song and go and go and go and go and go. Uh, it, it was amazing. But not as amazing as the price of a beer at Wrigley Field. I yeah. paid $16 in June when I was there for a game. Yeah, it depends on what you drink. When did that happen? Yeah. The beer went up to 16 Good bucks. question. I saw yeah. the beer Is that vendor. what you paid? Yeah, that's, that's, what, you, yeah. What, that's what you pay. <laughs> yeah. There's no bartering there. <laughs> I, I just had uh, water. I didn't, I, didn't wanna, I didn't feel like drinking. So I just had water, and it was a bargain price of only eight dollars for a bottle. Well, I was going to say fourteen ninety eight, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, eight bucks for a bottle of water. But the beer vendors were going around. Yep, you know, and they have the prices on their little carts, on their you know trays that they these guys are carrying mm-hmm. carrying around. And that may be the hardest job in the history of mankind, by the way. Yeah, especially uh, for a day game in August in, at Wrigley. Yeah, yeah, where it's nine hundred degrees outside. Exactly, they're, they're lugging these things around. Um, but it's seventeen bucks for a beer. Yeah, not cheap. Wow. Yeah, you, know, you add into the fact that you you paid whatever you paid for the ticket too. Right. Yeah, and parking. Mm-hmm. I noticed uh, some of the the neighbors in the area, like they always do for every game. Oh too. yeah. Uh, you know, charging. I saw one sign that said sixty dollars to park in somebody's. I guess garage. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sixty six zero. There's a lot of people that will they'll jump out onto Addison really, and they'll they'll wave you over. That's with, what they were doing with their flags, and they'll uh, they'll have their prices up uh, during baseball season. It's usually 
40, 45, 50, something like that. And there's one spot at Racine where there was that old gas station was there, and they still have the garages there, and they, they park people there with uh, easy out parking, which is a little bit more. It's not an inexpensive night out. No. Or day out if you're going to a game. It is not. And uh, talking about getting out, with the concert last night maybe ended around 11, uh, which may explain why I'm a little loopy today, uh, <laughs> by the way. Uncle Dean sleep deprived. What else is new? Always. Oh, <laughs> You know what? It's always a good show, though. I notice we get a lot of good feedback when I'm sleep deprived and a little <laughs> when I'm a little loopy. I think people enjoy uh, the show better. <laughs> uh, so, concert ended at eleven. I got home around four thirty in the morning, just trying to get out of the park. That's oh, not man. exactly true. <laughs> Wouldn't think so. But it's not a far, not far fetched, not huh? a far fetched thing. <laughs> Holy smokes. Uh, it is, you're trying to get, uh, I'm guessing, what, what do you think, like 40,000 people at these shows? Yeah, we're trying to think because they, they close off the bleachers, um, so there's nobody sitting in the oh, outfield. that's right. Because the, right. stage, the stage actually has a backdrop. When he was in, in Milwaukee earlier this year, there was no backdrop to the stage, so if, even if you sat behind the stage, you could still see. Um, but I don't, it's got to be around 40. Yeah, I would have to imagine it's, it's gotta, around 40. It's somewhere in that neighborhood, but... Yeah. 40,000 people leaving at one time in a fairly <laughs> small neighborhood. Yeah, very small. With small streets. A lot of the streets are closed off also because they shut down some of the streets so people can walk. Uh, it was uh, it was something. But I'm telling you what, uh, I, am, I, am, I am not soon going to forget that Pink concert last night. I hope – I'm, I'm told by an insider – that they, there may be a DVD of this put out. Do they even still make DVDs? I imagine, I imagine it's probably going to be an online special. <laughs> I think they're going to put it out on 8-track. VHS cassette? Oh, Uncle Dean, what's a DVD? <laughs> um, I'm told that the, a recording of the concert is going to be made into a special. Oh, nice. This is what I've been told. So, uh, wow. I, I wish... Uh, I'm an, I, I've got some video of it. We'll show it on TV tomorrow morning. But, uh, man, I, if, if you were there last night, you experienced uh, an amazing thing. And if not, uh, try to catch her in concert sometime because I guarantee you it's going to be uh, quite the experience. Uh, speaking of uh, you know, people thinking that we... They enjoy the show more when I'm a little sleep deprived and a little loopy. <laughs> Eight four seven area code. <laughs> Your unprepared chit chat is one of my favorite things on the radio. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, that's because that's like you like pulling over to watch a car accident. That's why. Here is Dave Schwan. Well, thank you, uh, Dean, and good morning, everyone. We thought and thought about a number of places to go to for the far-flung forecast this morning, but we did decide that um, in light of the fact that Lahaina, Hawaii, has been in the news overwhelmingly here, uh, this will be our destination today, Mm. Lahaina in Hawaii. Uh, with an amazing history, uh, they have, the island has been inhabited for something like.
like 1,700 years. And in 1778, the first Westerner was there, Captain James Cook. There was some earlier evidence of some Spanish sailors that had gone through the area, but uh, the first recorded Westerner there to set foot on the island was uh, Captain James Cook. King Kamehameha uh, preferred Lahaina to Honolulu uh, to uh, live and uh, work, and he was also the person who united the Hawaiian Islands under his rule around 1810. I saw his statue in uh, and You would Oahu. see the statue there, yes. Yeah, the, his statue is in Hawaii, and he's also on a, an I Dream of Genie episode, by the mm-hmm. way. Is he? <laughs> King Kamehameha. King Kamehameha. And, of course... Genie we, accidentally brings him back to life. We've we've seen pictures of the banyan tree that's been in Lahaina wow. there that is now just a ruin. Uh, that was planted in 1873. Hmm. And, of course, uh, Hawaii became a U.S. territory in 1900, a state in uh, 1959. Also, a national park is not uh, far away. Haleakala is there. That was established in 1961. And uh, the courthouse that we've seen pictures of, now ruined uh, because of the fire there, was built uh, in 1858. It was restored in 1998. And it and so many other uh, structures there uh, have just been devastated with this fire. The original capital of yes. Hawaii before yes. before it before, was the U.S. territory. Yes, or state. it was that, and uh, and they would shuttle back and forth there between uh, that and Honolulu. And uh, I have not been there, uh, Andy. Uh, you've been there, mm-hmm. Dean. You said you have visited uh, Lahaina there. So I have. Uh, we will uh, certainly horrible, horrible because. It's so, uh, uh, among the, I've, I've been to a few of the Hawaiian Islands, not all of them, but the, of the ones that I've been to, it's the most beautiful, natural, uh, unaffected. It's it's just pure, complete, utter, natural Unspoiled beauty. Unspoiled na- natural beauty. Yeah, or it was, but that's part of what makes this so devastating. But, uh, yeah, amazing. It is 4.32 in the morning there. Uh, The clear skies, 73 degrees in uh, Lahaina. And uh, going up to 85 today, uh, let us hope that uh, everything uh, calms down very quickly. Amen. And time for our weekend health segment. It's been a while since we've talked about anything COVID-related, but uh, there uh, sure seems to be a reason to go back to it again. Really, the reason that this uh, segment got started in the first place is we were trying to provide you information on, uh, you know, this uh, pandemic that had uh, taken over three years ago. Uh, One of the experts that we tapped into uh, during the course of the pandemic was Dr. Uh, Robert Murphy. In fact, he continues to be Dr. Robert Murphy. He is a professor of infectious diseases, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Let me just uh, make sure that you are still Dr. Robert Murphy. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I am. Very good. <laughs> I haven't changed. Very good. It's nice to hear your voice uh, again, and uh, thank you for joining us as we are looking at uh, a new variant that seems to be driving up uh, infections again, something that we have not seen happen for a while, correct? Uh, that's right. And this is, virus is constantly changing. That's not going to change. Uh, and it's going to be with us forever, just like the flu. So this new variant is called EG5? 
EG5. It's already spawned an offspring, EG5.1. Oh, boy. Uh, and it behaves pretty much like the other Omicron variants. It's in that same sort of family. The difference is, is it's easier to transmit. It's easier to spread. And I don't know if you've noticed, but you probably know some people yourself who've come down with COVID recently. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, it's it's not gone away. The good news is, especially if you're vaccinated, uh, you do pretty well. Uh, you don't end up in the hospital usually, uh, and you don't die from it like we used to. But uh, you're, you're still going to get COVID. That's a problem. Yeah, well, and that's uh, the one thing that I wanted to underline with this. I mean, we hear talk about COVID and we think about the worst days of of the pandemic when people were dying, uh, you know, the the pre-vaccine days when uh, right. getting COVID almost always meant you were going to be hospitalized. And for many people, uh, the ending was very tragic. Uh, this is... Is, is this like well, getting, over 1.1 getting the, 1 million people died? Yeah, I mean, there's, COVID, yeah. there's there's no denying the statistics of this, uh, keeping all the politics out of it and, uh, you know, all that talk out of it. There's no denying the statistics that a lot of people died from COVID. And it's something that is, I, I think, worth being aware of right now. Uh, EG, getting EG5 means you're getting a form of COVID, uh, except the, the symptoms seem to be more like getting the flu than those early tragic days, right? Right, right. Well, because so many people have been vaccinated, so many people have been boosted, and so many people have had COVID or both, or all three. Uh, And if you've had all three, that's what we call hybrid immunity. In other words, you get it naturally from the infection, and you also get this big boost from these vaccines and the boosters. That's even better. Now, uh, uh, you mentioned that this is more easily transmittable uh, more more contagious, but I mean, people still need to come have to come in contact with it somehow, right? Right, right. right. You have to come in contact with it. But now, as you as you know, you know, you go on the subway, you go on the bus, you go to work, you go to a restaurant. Nobody is wearing a mask. I mean, fewer than one or two percent. Uh, I was just on an airplane coming back from South Africa earlier this week. One person in the entire plane was wearing a mask. Wow. I was at Wrigley Field last night for a concert, and uh, be uh, be honest, thinking uh, I'm not so comfortable being in a big crowd like this, being back <laughs> well, to back with. Outside. Well, that's true, and it, it was breezy outside, so I guess uh, you know it, it wasn't the absolute worst of conditions. But <laughs> right, right. but I did think, uh, boy, it's been a long time since I've been in a big, big crowded area like this. Uh, you know, being uh, shoulder to shoulder with people. But those right. the, the, so, those are the ways that this can be spread. Right, right. right. Oh, of course, it's just it's the same as before, but just worse. It's easier to transmit. Now the big problem is. Okay, now we've got this virus that's very easy to... Tra- it's the most transmissible infection on Earth right now, all right? Very, very easy to spread. Two, two things. Uh, one is it could continue to mutate. I don't know if you remember two summers ago. Remember Delta? Yep. Yeah, Delta was a worse disease. Now, if this thing mutates into another form of Delta or something like that, you know things are really going to change because that is a worse disease and can cause really uh, more damage. So we've, we've got to really, really be careful uh, of that. 
Now, uh, all of that said, hospitalizations are up. The the trend of uh, people being hospitalized had somewhat leveled off a little bit, but now mm-hmm. things are going back up again, and it's all being it's, attributed to this new EG five. Yeah, it's um, it's it's partially that uh, they, it did bump up twelve percent uh, in the last couple of weeks. Hospitalizations over a thousand people a day being admitted to the hospital. Mostly people who have not been vaccinated, mostly people who have underlying diseases, and mostly people who are 65 and older. That's just mostly, not everybody. But uh, that is the ones who are at risk. And the interesting, if you want to look at the science of this, you look at people over just over 65. If they had never been vaccinated they had, were three times more likely to end up in the hospital. If they had received the first two shots but no booster yet, they were two times more likely to end up in the hospital. But if they had a booster, you know, that was the group that did the best. And there's a new booster coming out at the end of September, and it's all directed at Omicron viruses, including this EG5. So, you know, that is something everybody really should get. It's going to be like the flu. You're going to get a a COVID and a flu shot every year. Yeah. Uh, Talk to me uh, a little bit about uh, this, uh, uh, the home home testing with regard to this new virus. Uh, You know, these -hmm. these old home tests that I've uh, had at my house for the last year and a half, two years. Is that effective uh, against this new? Yeah, that should work. Yeah. That should work as long as it hasn't expired. Look, so you have to look at the test box. Okay. There's an expiration date. Uh, if it's expired, you need a new box. You need a new test. Okay. Um, and uh, same kinds of protections. But it'll work. It'll work the same. Same, same kinds same. of protections? Yeah. I mean, do you think yeah. uh, going back mm-hmm. to wearing masks and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we hated, uh, but yeah. things that saved our lives, and certainly in the early days of all of this, uh, that well, it's, it's not a bad it, idea what, to go back to that or just be a little more well, not at, not at this particular point. Uh, at this point, if people got their booster shot, uh, they're going to do, of course, much better. Um, we don't have to go back to all the mitigations that, you know, you're referring to, all the masking and staying three or six feet away from people and all that. We don't need to do that. We, we've, we've, we're beyond that now. We're in, in what's called the endemic stage. The high-risk people, though, are older over 65, and or anybody who has some underlying um, disease that puts them at greater risk. So underlying cancers or underlying heart disease, uh, overweight even, uh, you know, diabetes, you know, those same risk factors are there. So, you know, some people have to be very, very careful. Let's uh, talk a little bit about where we should be with vaccines, because I think people fell into uh, a kind of a comfort zone, uh, over the last year or so, or complacency, or just they, you know, just didn't like the vaccines from the get-go. But where, I, ideally, where should people be with their vaccines right now? They should have had a booster. Now, there's three vaccines that are approved that work. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been taken off the market. But the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines are out there. But Novavax, also has a vaccine that's being updated and for as a booster at the end of September. And so if there's just something in your mind that you don't like how those vaccines were developed, the Novavax has a more traditional 
manufacturing process, uh, like all the other vaccines. I think we may have lost our connection. Once again, our phone system fails us. Uh, and let's take a break, see if we can reestablish, get our phone system uh, worked out here, and get right back with Dr. Robert Murphy from Northwestern after this. Dr. Robert Murphy uh, on with us this week to uh, talk about this new variant of COVID, which is uh, out right now that you should be aware of. Dr. Robert Murphy, professor of Infectious Diseases, Northwestern University, Feinberg School of Medicine. Before our phone line went uh, crazy there, Dr. Murphy, you were talking about uh, which vaccines we uh, should be taking right now. So where where should I, I don't remember where exactly we got cut off, but you were explaining, uh, you know, the, the latest and the greatest and right. what we should uh, wh- where we should be right now for optimal health. If you want optimal health, you would have had your first two vaccines and then got at least one booster shot. That's where you should be right now. What's going to happen is just like with the flu, you know, the flu vaccine changes every year. The same thing is going to happen with COVID because the immunity you have, in other words, your body's protection, unfortunately, with the flu and with COVID, wanes over time. It, it gets worse. It goes away. You become at risk again. So you just have to take a booster shot. You can even take them at the same time. You can spread them out if you want. You have three different choices. And the, the new booster is coming out uh, at the end of September. It was just announced uh, uh, last week. And um, it's all approved by the FDA and the advisory councils and all that. It's safe. Uh, and you have three choices. But the Pfizer and the Moderna are the ones people know most about. And those, that's that new technology, relatively new, 20 years. Uh, and the other one is Novavax. Novavax, a lot of people don't know about that vaccine. It's uh, based on the traditional vaccine development model. It's, it's like all the other vaccines you ever had. Uh, so you have a choice. And But the point is, get that booster because it's designed for the virus that's circulating right now. Yeah. Uh, this 773 area code uh, texts in a question. Uh, I'm going on an international vacation in the early part of September. Uh, should I go ahead and get vaccines now, or should I wait until the new one comes out, the new booster? Well, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, it depends if this person has had a booster shot already. Um, the last booster came out in September 2022. So if they've had that booster... Um, they can probably go and then come back and get the shot. If they didn't have that booster, they should just take it before they go. Uh, the uh, Let's see, area code 331. Uh, I'm 63 years old, had my first vaccine January 2020, my second vaccine February 2020. Uh-huh. Uh, since then, I've had all three boosters. Oh, uh, great. All, all through Northwestern. Am I up to date? My last booster was a while ago. Do I need... Another, and I think if I understood what you said, uh, the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah, you need another. But uh, this person is really vaccinated and up to date, and congratulations to you. You are at the lowest risk of getting really sick. And you can wait until the end of September and take the new booster. So the, the booster that came out last September, September 2022, half of it was against the original virus, and half was against the beginnings of the Omicron virus. 
Now, the new one will be strictly all Omicron because the protection you had from the original virus doesn't help you anymore. 847 uh, asks, is the newest COVID booster only going to be combined with a flu vaccine? I've had Guillain-Barre and cannot have a flu shot. No, it's not good. They, they are not going to be combined. They're going to be separate shots. You can take them at the same time, but they're, they're not combined. It's not all one, no, one no, poke no. and you're done. You, no, 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 two pokes. Two, <laughs> two pokes. <laughs> you have to step into the two poke or more counter. Yep, a two poke. For, mm-hmm. for that. Uh, speaking of that, by the way, the flu shot, uh, a, a new flu vaccine uh, up to date. Uh, you know, th- this is part of our lives now, as you said. Right. Flu vaccine, COVID vaccines, just going to be part of our lives from now on. Yes, uh, but, it is. But you said a, a new flu vaccine uh, is uh, about ready. So when you go in to get this new booster, you should ask your doc about the new flu vaccine as well. Right. There's actually three vaccines that people should should consider. Oh. So the flu vaccine is actually already out. But it's not recommended that adults take it until September and October. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the new flu. The COVID vaccine we've been talking about, the new one will be out at the end of September. But a third one against RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, you may have heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, used to think of it because we didn't test for it. Then when we started mass testing, we found there's a whole lot of people that have it. Uh, and it causes about 10,000 deaths uh, per year. It's very devastating for young children. Uh, and that's what filled up the pediatric ICUs uh, in the last season. But uh, the vaccine is for adults. There's this another treatment for children called the monoclonal antibody. It's actually a preventive treatment that just got approved. Yeah, but, be but you can get if you're the, the RSV vaccine is approved for 60 years and older. Now, be aware this new uh, variant is out there and uh, you can get protection against it with this new booster that is out. Ask your doctors about that and get your flu shots and. Here, step into the three poke or more line. Apparently, there's plenty, plenty of room at the in the countertop. Uh, yep. Dr. Robert Murphy, professor of infectious diseases, Northwest University, uh, Feinberg School of Medicine. Nice to talk to you, doctor, and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, good to talk to you again. Thank you. And we're all excited about the Bears. Uh, big yeah. preseason win last night. Yeah, you have to temper your expectations a little bit in the spring, in the uh, preseason because yeah, there's a lot of variables that go into the. But it was nice to see the defense doing some things that they didn't do at all last year, and that was get to the quarterback. Yeah, they were the worst team in the league in sacking the quarterback. They had eight sacks in yesterday's game, but. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the uh, the norm or just kind of what we saw yesterday in the, in a preseason game. It's the uh, it, it's the period that I like to call uh, the time when we think the Bears are going to go to the Super Bowl. Of course, after, I saw a lot of headlines yesterday after and I think, one win. Yeah, they were they were of course very facetious. Super Bowl <laughs> 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 because Justin Fields threw two touchdown passes. He threw the ball a combined maybe six yards in both of them. Yeah. And uh, the screen pass to DJ Moore, he was untouched to the end zone, uh, ran 62 yards. And same thing with Khalil Herbert, 56 yards. But those were little screen passes. They weren't even going uh, deep down the field. Uh, you know, it's better than losing. Right? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. It's promising. As, as you say, a lot of things happened that uh, didn't happen last year. So. Yeah. Let's hope it's uh, the start of a nice little trend. Right? Yeah. Because I like to have Happen OB happy during the season. <laughs> you are actually scared of them. Well, you know, I, I, every once Andy, in a while. A lot of people don't know this. Andy is actually afraid every week when, when they start the Hampton OB uh, show. <laughs> and Andy starts hanging out with his new best friends again. That <laughs> a- Andy's actually <laughs> af- 
afraid that Hamp will crush his skull. Yeah, and it, with, it w- with uh, just his finger and thumb. I was going to say it wouldn't take much. Um, there was a time last year during one of the, uh, the one of the losses, one of the fourteen losses last year. Where my dad was listening on the app in Florida. Was he scared for it? And was texting me. He says, Are you going to be okay in there? And I, <laughs> and I shared it with the boys, and they were, just like, they were laughing. They were just <laughs> laughing really hard. Uh, Shwani, your take on uh, everything yesterday? The, oh. the Bears win yesterday? Definitely. I think it's fine. I missed that. <laughs> I really missed that. Uh, I think, no, seriously, I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice to know there's somebody who knows even less about sports than I do. <laughs> but he doesn't even but try cover- to. He doesn't even pretend. <laughs> well, uh, as uh, you know, as people know, during the bear season, Shawnee doesn't live uh, that far from Soldier Field. Uh, everyone's welcome to come to his house for thank a, you a big pregame a party. party. Yeah, big pregame party. Cool. And he knows where game. I am for the uh-huh. Bears game. I oh, do know where you are. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a live remote from. We them. could uh, would love to do a live remote live from Schwanny's house. Well, Schwanny's uh, headquarters. Let's put it that way. It's not quite his house. What? It's his headquarters. What? He's a social being, you know. This, this Dave Schwan. Schwanny puts out the lawn chairs in his living room. <laughs> uh, he makes one heck of a three layer bean dip. Uh-huh. I'll make the. Um uh, onion dip, that Lipton oh, onion dip that you like, get me started and on a that box, a big bag of bugles, bugles yeah. just oh. for you, oh. just for you. I feel my blood pressure going, going up, up already. right now. I feel my sodium just <laughs> blasted through the top of my head. <laughs> that was one of the highlights of uh, the concert, at least on Wednesday. I presume that he also did it at his uh, Friday concert. At Wrigley Field. Yeah, he did it Friday. I had a, a friend of mine that went uh, with me on Wednesday, and I went back on Friday. And the only real change of the set list, he did Darlington County on Wednesday and then changed to uh, Trapped hmm. on uh, Friday. That was pretty much the only change in the lineup. Yeah, these shows are fairly regimented. Yeah. I mean, they, they even pr- uh, you know put online uh, set lists. Right. So you can follow along, you know, what song's going to happen when. And uh, I know this was on the album that Bruce Springsteen had called Only the Strong Survive, where he did a lot of oldies, if you will. Although I don't think the song Night Shift is no. an oldie, although it's like 30 years old, something like that. Uh, but also, you don't think of Bruce Springsteen doing uh, somebody else's songs. And he did, um, what else did he do? He did one other uh, cover song that night. What was it? Do you remember? He did because the night. Because because the night. Yeah. Because the night. Yeah. Um, just part of the just just an amazing concert week in Chicago. Uh, we were talking about the Pink Show last night at Wrigley Field, which was amazing. Some people came in on the middle of that and said, "What concert are you talking about?" It was Pink at Wrigley Field, which was stunning. But uh, Bruce Springsteen, uh, just also amazing. I've seen him a few times now. Uh, and uh, enjoyed them every time. It's pure, clean, uh, solid rock and roll. Yeah, uh, that's no frills. No, no, really, yeah. no frills. No pyrotechnics. No, you know, he did not fly around the park on wires like Pink did last night. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, you, you can really tell that those guys are enjoying. 
doing this and they're there for the right reasons. Well, obviously they're making some money off of this, but they they have such a great chemistry amongst the band because uh, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of times, especially as Rosalita, uh, one of the encores, there was that point where he and little Stevie Van Zandt were just making faces at each other and making weird noises and looking like they were Goofing having the time of their lives. They're like idiots like us. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, they're, they're Shawnee, they're like you and me, just goofing around. <laughs> <laughs> really, we yeah. shouldn't even be paid to do this. Yeah. I have an idea. What did I just say? I don't know. What? Rewind I, the tape. <laughs> I have an idea. Yep. So you, you've been so excited about this very exciting uh, spectacle that Pink put on during yes. the show. As a matter of fact, Jessica, our producer here, showed me a video of it, and oh. it really is neat. She showed me the, the video of her flying around the park. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. I think I, li- I like uh, at the beginning of the video when uh, I don't know who said somebody somebody around her said what the bleep is it? <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't it be great to do the show like that at tree time? Yeah, if we do it on wires, we could fly around the room and have you know Santa and the reindeer. How about it? Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm up for it. I'm, well, yeah. If, I'd if love can, to see you hanging from the rafters. You, <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you. I'll bet you would. I'll tell you what. If you can find some wires strong enough to lift me up there, I'm up for it. I, I did, you know, at the Goodman Theater The daring once. young man on the flying well, trapeze. Well, the daring man on the flying trapeze. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about the young part. I was, uh, you know, one year at the Goodman Theater, we were interviewing the cast. And, you know, for the Goodman, they do uh, wire work when the ghosts uh, come out and they fly the ghosts around around the stage. Yeah. Uh, They hooked me up to those wires once Hmm. to, you know, just to see what it was like. And uh, it's scary up there. I would imagine this would be getting, it would have to take some getting used to. Yeah. And this is why, you know, when you came in here before the show, you, I was asking, where do they rehearse for something like this? Right? You just don't do that. Right. right. Especially in a, in a huge venue like Wrigley Field. I don't, I have no idea how all of that is done. I don't know if there's a place where you go, which yeah. is similar to an outdoor arena. But, I mean, she's doing it at arenas. I was looking on YouTube. She did it in New York. She did it in uh, Philadelphia and Boston. I mean, she's at all of her arenas. I mean, Pink is known for that. Pink is known for the wire work. Uh, and I get, I mean, she starts the show bungee jumping off the top of the rig uh, on which the stage is set up. That I get. I mean, you can practice bungee jumping. But how do you practice flying around? The friendly confines. That's my question. Mm-hmm. And, and yes. To the upper deck, where yeah. you go to the upper deck. And if I, they actually rehearsed there, people would have had to know because there's people walking around Wrigley all the time. Yeah. Um. Well, you remember the show uh, Theatra Zanzani that, that was here? We had them up here uh, several times. That was uh, like a cabaret show. It was acrobatics. It was music. Uh, that was over at the Hotel Cambria. Uh, the, the one of the performers in that show, Drea Weber, trained with Pink for for her to do her wire work. She trained Pink, hmm. uh, so we're trying to get a hold of her to see if she can 
you know, get us a little insight into how oh, that'd be how really all of that's know. put yeah. together. Yeah, uh, we're we're trying. We, we're we've we've tracked her down, but we're just <laughs> now now we just need her to answer her phone. <laughs> to, uh, she's she's in a different time zone than we are, so we're hoping that maybe a little bit later on this morning we'll be able to uh, get that question answered. But uh, what just just an amazing week of uh, concerts. Uh, we're we're so lucky to be here in Chicago and to see a show. One of the things that really tickled me last night, Pink, uh, Pink was like beside herself to be at Wrigley Field last night. Hmm. I mean, it's it's legendary for people to go there. She talked about her grandpa who played uh, pro ball, you know, professional baseball, uh, and uh, you know, she was clearly moved by that. Her family were all big baseball fans. So Wrigley Field meant something to her mm-hmm. to be there. But, you know, when you when you sat there, Andy, you probably noticed this at the Springsteen show on Wednesday. You sit there and you look around and you see Wrigley Field packed like it's the World Series. Yep. It is standing room only everywhere. And you look around and it's that magical feeling of being in Wrigley Field. You know, the funny thing, we were sitting in the first base side in the upper deck, uh, the lower level of the upper deck. And you look down over the stage and... So I don't know if it was strategic or just kind of the luck of the draw, but the lights from the stage kind of illuminated half of the scoreboard. Oh, that's cool. And it was really a, a cool picture cool. from up there, yeah. That's very cool. Well, it was uh, super fun. And as uh, we explained uh, to Shawnee, uh, sadly, he wasn't able to uh, be there at any of the shows. It was like you seeing Herman's Hermits for the first time. <laughs> Something tells me I'm into something good. She didn't sing There's a Kind of Hush (laughs) all over the world. She did not. She didn't do that one? No. She didn't do any aerial work to I'm Henry the Eighth I am. Wasn't he just in town, Peter? At the, uh, we uh, we at talked the about it. And no, yes, but Arcata also the Wisconsin Display. State Fair. Oh, they the Wisconsin State Fair. That's right. That's right. With the cream puffs. Yeah. I could go for one of those cream puffs right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we looked this up. Was that last weekend or was that? I think it was two weeks ago. Is it this way? Well, let me hang on. Hang on a second. Here. Let's do a little... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Herman's Hermits, starring Peter Noon. Uh, Oh, this internet. Gotta love it. No help at all. Oh, got nothing. (laughs) Should have paid my phone bill. Uh, Okay, anywho. uh, So, we've got uh, coming up uh, about 10 years ago. I was lucky enough to uh, sit down and talk with a former WGN employee who at one time worked in the mailroom at WGN and became a television director at WGN, went on to win an Academy Award as best director for the movie that he made called The French Connection. Hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? I do. Mr. Mr. William Friedkin who sadly we lost uh, this week, passed away. Uh, But we had a lovely conversation. We're going to share that with you coming up a little later on. We'll go into the archives for that. And in our Week in Theater segment, there is a new production of Mel Brooks, The Producers, maybe the funniest musical I have ever seen in my life. 
that is currently in production at the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts. All that and more still to come. Herman's Hermits at the Wisconsin State Fair was this past uh, Tuesday. Twenty, we missed it. Twenty and I like to. What? We're just singing in the background. You're harmonizing? Yeah. Don't let me interrupt. <laughs> Twenty and I like to just follow the you know some of our favorite bands from our youth. This was one of them. Yep. Did you like Freddie and the Dreamers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember their song "Do the Freddy"? Yeah, "Do the Freddy." <laughs> they had a song. Freddie and the Dreamers song that told you how to do the dance. <laughs> Try doing that, Bruce Springsteen. You think you're such a big shot? You don't have any song called "Do the Brucey." <laughs> <laughs> I love his drummer, Springsteen's drummer, Max Weinberg. Mighty Max Weinberg, Mighty yes. Max, excellent uh, drummer. I've always enjoyed him. That band, that E Street band. Oh yeah, it, wow, yeah, it's amazing. But uh, Max Weinberg, I mean, these guys are all in their lower seventies, I think, right? Well, yeah, I think so. Weinberg's in his 70s. Springsteen's in his 70s. But I mean, for a drummer especially, mm-hmm. that's that a physical job. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Max Weinberg uh, just kills it on those drums. He's absolutely amazing. And then he did a show at the Park West on his night oh, off. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he, he took requests. And he took requests yeah. at, the, at the Park West. He's amazing. And every time they took a shot of uh, Steve Van Zandt, you know, on stage, all I could think of was The Sopranos. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that, that I was, when you mentioned him made, earlier, I, can, I was thinking of The Sopranos, just too. Just doing that Sopranos face, yeah, the, the character. Right, the, the, the droopy mouth and, yep. and everything. Yep. Uh, speaking Go of, talk to Tony. Go talk to Tony. Listen to you, Richard Little. You're Mr. <laughs> Little Richard Little today. Seven Dean Richard Sunday morning on WGN, a classic from both the motion picture and stage versions of Mel Brooks, the producers. Uh, first with Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder, and then Nathan Lane and uh, Matthew Broderick. And now, here in the Chicago area with Thomas M. Shea and David Ganofsky playing Max Bialystok and Leo Bloom uh, putting on the worst musical of all time in what I think is one of the funniest musicals of all time. It's a pleasure to welcome both of them to our show this morning to talk about the current production, which is out at the North Shore Center for Performing Arts in Skokie through August the 20th, one more week. Uh, guys, welcome to WGN. Nice to have you with us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, very nice to have you. Uh, Thomas, let me uh, start off with you. You play Max Bialystok, uh, as Mel Brooks uh, put it, uh, in the show. Uh, what's it like taking on this uh, now legendary uh, Tony Award-winning uh, performance? Well, it's kind of, uh, I've been calling it the uh, Mount Everest of Character Man musical comedy, which is a little specific, but it is uh, it is a tremendous role with a tremendous upside and a tremendous workload. And that's putting it mildly. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, having seen the show uh, on stage uh, many times, boy, that that may be an understatement uh, for this show. Uh, David, mm-hmm. t- talk to me a little bit about, I mean, if people don't know what The Producers is, uh, talk to me a little about uh, what the show is about and what people can expect to see. Uh, an accountant, uh, Leo Bloom, walks into Max Bialystok's office and uh, uh, helps um, Max Bialystok come to the realization that uh, you could put on a flop and make more money uh, by doing so. And um, this, in turn, takes them on a long journey of um, putting together the worst musical possible so that they can recoup um, their money and uh, run off to Rio and live the good life. But uh, things go south when Springtime for Hitler, the musical that they're producing, turns out to be an absolute hit and loved by everybody. And I must say, especially in our show, it is the the moment where Tom and I get a break in the show and we actually can't help but stand on the side and watch the number because it is truly one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen on stage with my jaw just dropped the entire time. During the during the springtime for Hitler number. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it truly is one of the most classic... Uh, scenes, isn't it? Uh, both on stage and in the mo- in motion pictures, both the original motion picture and then the one that came out, uh, you know, following the the Broadway hit version. Uh, that it, it's hilarious. It's so unorthodox. Uh, I, I remember uh, interviewing Mel Brooks before the show opened, and uh, you know, talking about it. If he was still getting flack from people for doing a number in which Hitler does a a big solo performance and uh, you know mimics Ethel Merman on stage and it's it's hilariously funny, uh, it, it it's got to be one of the the true highlights of the show to see it performed live, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is um, definitely uh, music theater work spared no expense on that portion of the show. And it is definitely worth the wait. It comes in act two. And uh, it is truly what I said, jaw dropping. <laughs> quite, quite hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Thomas, talk to me a little bit about the, uh, the theater company itself, uh, putting this on the music theater works. This is their 150th uh, production, but you've got some Chicago history of uh, performing in other uh, shows here. What does music theater works uh, mean to the Chicago theater scene? Um, MTW started uh, back in 1981 uh, as a company with a different name. It's the same company, but it it operated under a different name. Back then it was called Light Opera Works. And uh, it was founded by uh, three people, a conductor named Barney Jones, uh, the the man who was the artistic director emeritus now, uh, who was a, 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 primarily a singer and a stage director named Phil Krauss. And uh, the uh, the woman uh, who was uh, pretty much watching the pennies back then, a woman named Bridget McDonough. And uh, they formed it as a light opera company because there was technically really no company doing those uh, turn-of-the-century uh, American and European light operas, things like the Gilbert and Sullivan operettas and the Merry Widow and Deflator Mouse. And they filled the niche. These were fully uh, performed Broadway style in in uh, in a large house, uh, a con auditorium at Northwestern University, which is about an eight hundred nine hundred seat theater. They paid everybody. They played. They did every show with a full orchestra, and they were filling that niche. Uh, 
the, nobody was doing light opera in the Chicagoland area uh, on the regular, uh, on a professional level. Plenty of, there were three com- big community Gilbert and Sullivan groups at that time, but there were no professional light opera companies in Chicagoland. Uh, and uh, somewhere along the line, uh, through uh, four different uh, artistic directors, they changed the name. They decided to pivot more towards musical theater, towards the Broadway stuff. And um, so they changed the name to Music Theater Works. And uh, that's what they're doing now. The niche now is uh, full orchestra uh, when it's needed, as in this show, uh, and big shows in the big, uh, the big theater, uh, what is called the Central Theater at North Shore Center, or smaller, more intimate shows um, with sort of challenging, more innovative stagings on, uh, the, in the smaller theater, which is called the North Theater. Uh, for instance, they just did uh, Pippin, uh, which right. I was a part of as well. Right, right. And uh, that was in the North Theater, uh, a smaller, more intimate staging with a smaller orchestra. But this is, the big, this is the big room, the big time, with the big production values of the big orchestra. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like a 900-seat theater, something like that. I mean, uh, th- it's, it's enormous. between 800 and 900, I think, yes. Yeah, it's... It's, 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 size it's, it's an enormous theater. Does that... Uh, how, how does that affect your performance, uh, David, when you've got, you know, a huge room like that and you're performing this, you know, this big old show, what is it, like 10, uh, 12 Tony Awards, uh, something like that? I mean, it, it's got it, to feel very special, I would think, as performers to be on, on that we stage a, looking out at this big house. We had an absolutely uh, incredible press opening the other night. We were in such good company. It was the 150th uh, celebration of music theater works, and there were so many people there that were had been a part of the company. I wish I could have been out uh, to see in the house when Kyle Dugan, our artistic director, asked people to, to stand up. Uh, the show and the response that we got with the combination of that stage and the lights and the 17 piece orchestra. I mean, truly it's a, it was a night that I will truly never forget in, in my entire life. It was so special every single day. Now that we've gone out there after um, we're getting more acquainted with the space, we're more comfortable. Uh, It is truly for, especially for Tom and myself, but the entire company that we're working with, it's a marathon. Everybody's changing costumes constantly. And, uh, you know, the beauty of it all is that when we go out on that stage, the enormous size of it and the lights and the, the costumes and the scenery, everything, it is so impactful to us. So I can only imagine what it's like to be sitting in the audience and seeing this. It truly feels like we're, you know, in a in a Broadway house and, and doing a full-scale Broadway show. Yeah. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, well, because you are. <laughs> <That's>, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that may be one of the reasons for it. Uh, I want to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, the show. And uh, Thomas and David were over at WGN-TV this week. And they did a performance of one of the signature songs from the show, I Want to Be a Producer. Uh, we'll hear that uh, all coming up as our Week in Theater segment continues. Mel Brooks, the producers, out at the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Skokie through August 20th. A little Shop of Horrors coming to the Paramount. You can join me for a Dean's Night Out to see the show. Going to WGNRadio.com slash contest. 
Michael Jackson, the musical, MJ, the musical, just opened at the uh, Niederlander Theater downtown. And uh, I'm going to see that later on today, by the way, so I'll give you a review of that uh, tomorrow morning on WGN-TV Morning News uh, and also on uh, the segment that I do with Bob Surratt every uh, weekday morning between 8 and 8.30. So we'll talk some uh, MJ the Musical. Look forward to that. Uh, show that's getting rave reviews is the producers. Mel Brooks, the producers out at Music Theater Works. That's the company that's putting on the show at the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts in Skokie. Beautiful theater and is playing now through August the 20th. Uh, I I have to say, I don't think I have ever laughed so hard, enjoyed the musical numbers so much as uh, I did when I saw Mel Brooks, the producers on stage. You know, I wondered how he was going to transform this incredible movie uh, on to a Broadway uh, stage, but uh, they so successfully did, uh, earning 12 Emmy Awards along the way. I guarantee you're going to have a great time uh, when you go see this show with our two guests this morning, David Janofsky, who plays Leo Bloom in the show, Thomas M. Shaw, who plays Max Bialystok. Guys, I have to ask, uh, you know, what's it like taking on these very signature roles? I asked the same question, by the way, of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick when they ju- they took over the roles that were so identified with Zero Mostel and, and Gene Wilder. These are bigger than life on stage personas and on screen personas, uh, Thomas, of uh, taking this on. Is it intimidating in a way? I'm sure you want to make it your own. Uh, but you have to kind of stay true to it all at the same time, right? Uh, indeed. Um, I, uh, Nathan Lane uh, has won three Tonys, and two of them were for musicals. Uh, the first one was for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. The second was for the producers. And the common denominator besides Nathan was Zero Mustel. And he talked about standing on the shoulders of Zero Mustel. And uh, I, I think that anybody who ever... Uh, does a piece of theater stands on the shoulders of everybody who's come before them because there's no way that, that it doesn't seep into the, to the collective consciousness uh, of, uh, of doing a show. And uh, I certainly have been uh, conscious of doing some of the zero beats and some of the Nathan beats uh, because they're baked into the show, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, just as, uh, you know, if you do Hamlet, you may not think about holding the skull up and uh, and performing a soliloquy like Olivier, but but somewhere in there uh, you're going to do that. You're going to you're going to think about it, and it's going to imbue a little bit of your performance. And it's the same way with this. Zero Mistel uh, and Nathan Lane are two of the funniest clowns in Broadway history, arguably the two funniest. And uh, it's an honor to to even get to you know to uh, step into those shoes metaphorically, um, uh, because they they just they they have such a wealth of what they call the grand tradition. Uh, Mustel uh, lived it uh, genuinely, and uh, Nathan Lane, uh, as many people have said, you know, uh, possesses more of that sort of Broadway spirit, what we associate with uh, with the pizzazz and the panache of Broadway, than almost any other performer uh, who's working today. Uh, and uh, so it's always fun to, to to analyze a show from that point of view, from the grand tradition and where you fit into it. And uh, I found myself playing more zero beats than Nathan beats mm. originally uh, because uh, I'm a big man and zero is a big man. Nathan, uh, it, 
Nathan Lane's a little pudgy, but he's a little man in, in stature in, in terms of casting. You would cast him as a little man. Um, so he's not the rhinoceros that, uh, that <laughs> Zero Mostel was. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously, so much of the stage version is, was written on Nathan Lane. So you're going you're gonna to incorporate some Nathan beats in there, whether you like it or not. Wow. I've never I thought of Zero Mostel as a rhinoceros before, but now I'm never, <laughs> never going to be able to not think that. Uh, he, I- actually, uh, he actually won a Tony Award for playing Rhino, the, the uh, Eugenie Enesco play Rhinoceros. So it's ah. a straight uh, play act. Oh, it's perfect. Um, it's perfect. And then. apparently it was something to see. Yeah, he can transform into rhinoceros on stage. Yeah, and David Leo Bloom is—I uh, don't—I don't know what the exact opposite would be of a rhinoceros, but that would be Leo Bloom, <laughs> wouldn't it? A little mouth, a, a little tiny mouth. little mouth. That's true. Some, yes, some sort. <clears throat> uh, that Tom says it so perfectly on how uh, we have to somewhat acknowledge these these monumental people who have taken on these roles. I'm a huge Gene Wilder fan. Uh, I love him in the film, especially, and I actually think that that was one of the coolest things that Tom and I experienced when we first read some of the scenes together was um, we just both had a, um, a somewhat of a fresh take on the characters, but we're also bringing in, like he said, these baked moments that are, are built into the show that are just on the page that just made it so fun to um, find our own moments, but still pay tribute to some of the stuff. There's no denying that the things that are somewhat even built into the script are there because Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and the way that they uh, interpreted some of these um, dialogue scenes and whatnot. Uh, it's an absolute joy to work with Tom on the show because we, like I said, it was just one of those things that you dream for when you when you come into a new project where you just are able to bounce uh, back and forth off of somebody. We have a, a joined dressing room and we are, um, you know, continuously trying to like find new solutions. It's only a modest hit and pass. And it's been, it's been a great journey so far. And I'm what? hoping that like the, the continuous experience of this is that we stay, you know, authentic and fresh and, um, and continue to have fun while running this crazy marathon. <laughs> yeah, well, you have uh, one more week to see the show. It's playing at the North Shore Center for Performing Arts in Skokie, gorgeous theater, uh, through August the 20th. Mel Brooks, the producers, with uh, Thomas M. Shea and uh, David Ganofsky uh, in the leading roles. Guys, I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Yeah, and from uh, the performance on our WGN-TV morning news the other day, uh, one of the signature songs from the show, it is uh, David uh, performing the song, I Want to Be a Producer. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be a producer, lunch at Sardi's every day. I want to be a producer, sport a top hat and a cane. I want to be a producer and drive those chorus girls insane. You said that the uh, the heat from the Maui fires hot enough to melt metal. metal. 
Yes, right. Uh, we were talking earlier about the intensity of that heat, and you were mentioning about how it's reaching into roots of trees and so forth. Well, there you go. You know, the intensity of this uh, heat there will uh, will do it. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, tree roots that are tree roots that are burning, even though the trees are completely gone. Yeah. Trees have been already burned down. Yeah. But the the roots remain on fire. Yeah. And uh, heat so hot why i mean why wouldn't metal melt right and under that kind of intensity you know even in even worse to hear of course would be the fact that uh, the police chief there has mentioned that any body that they recover now will have to be identified using dna wow because of uh, the devastation of the fire the intensity of the fire you know if it can melt metal who knows what else yeah, it can do? I mean, what's left of a human yeah. body? If, yeah, you know something caught in that. Oh, those poor, poor, poor people. Uh, I got a text from Zion, I think it was, uh, that said that um, the people that were texting us said that their son is an executive chef at a high-end restaurant in Maui, and uh, you know everything is gone, uh, and that the staff that work at the restaurant who lost everything. Their homes are gone. Their belongings are gone. Yet they show up at the restaurant to prepare food to serve people who are now homeless and left without anything. How about that for the human yeah. spirit? Yeah. And I was looking earlier this morning as we were, you know, doing the uh, Lahaina report for uh, the far flung forecast. And there's a, really a very nice website for Lahaina itself showing restaurants and places to go boy they look nice and it's again such it's a terrible terrible tragedy to see this happen yeah it is we we will hear more later this week and into you know the really the rest of the year as to what happened with the fact that uh, the, the alert sirens, emergency sirens, did not uh, go off. You know, what happened there? there? The attorney general in Hawaii is launching an investigation into that. Well, we've had a couple of texts about that <clears throat> saying, why are we looking to, <coughs> excuse me, why are we looking to blame people? Pardon me while I take a sip of a refreshing beverage. Ah. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't you want to know what I'm drinking? I don't. Do we want to know what you're drinking on the air? <laughs> Just some coffee. Okay. Just some ice cold, stale coffee. <laughs> you know, the usual. What, you, what you'd find at any radio station anywhere. <laughs> Horrible tasting. <laughs> ice cold, stale coffee. Um, what was I saying? Oh, the... Um, the uh, uh, the devastation, uh, you know, left from all of this. and But people reaching out to help at the same time is, uh, you know, uh, pretty overwhelming. And uh, I hope that everyone will, you know, stop and make a donation however they can to help people. The Red Cross has something set up where you uh, text the word Red Cross, no space, Red Cross, to 90999 and that will make a $10 donation uh, to help the people there. There is a uh, the Hawaiian Community Foundation Fund uh, which has raised a million dollars so far for uh, fire relief providing food and shelter and financial assistance to those affected by the wildfires. 
Uh, they have a website uh, that you can go to. Uh, let me see here. The uh, There are a variety of GoFundMe pages. Be careful on the GoFundMe pages because, you know, those can be set up by anyone. So you want to make sure it's legit and that the money really will go to uh, an organization. Uh, but I also wanted to mention the Maui Humane Society that are uh, seeking donations to provide uh, food, shelter, uh, and treatment for animals. Mm that have uh, suffered uh, smoke inhalation and burns. So if you go on and just, uh, you know, Google Maui Humane Society, uh, there's, uh, you know, all kinds of information and a place where you can make a donation there for uh, four-legged friends. I saw something on that yesterday also about how they're caring for dogs and cats. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, anytime there's any kind of a disaster like this, tornadoes you know floods whatever it is there are always animals that are displaced and in need of help and in yeah. need of help so uh if we can help you know we're sitting here uh you know on a nice day in chicago count your blessings uh, and uh, if you can help somebody who is in need there are plenty of places to do it uh if you go online or just you know do that red cross uh text number again you uh, simply text the word Red Cross, It's you put it in as one word, no space, to 90999 as if you were sending a text. And that'll charge your phone $10, a $10 donation then will be made to the Red Cross that will go directly to uh, Maui Relief. So there you go. Got to help out others if we can. Uh, coming up, one-on-one with uh, Chicagoan. William Friedkin, who we lost this week. All that and much more still to come. There you go. Pink sold out crowd at Wrigley Field last night of all ages. Uh, The young were there. Uh, Although I got to say, my observation of being at the Pink concert last night at Wrigley Field, uh, I'm going to say 30-year-olds to 70-year-olds. I think that seems about right. People uh, just really came out and, oh man, they were dancing and singing and just really enjoying uh, what uh, has turned out to be one of the most amazing shows with her aerial work that she does. Bungee jumping from the, the top of the stage rig that's set up to open the show and then closing the show with this amazing wire work literally flying around Wrigley Field all the way up to the upper decks, all the way uh, for the en- entire uh, perimeter of the field. Uh, it's just one of the most amazing things that you'll ever see. Uh, I'm going to show you some of the video tomorrow on WGN TV Morning News if you want to get a little uh, you know, taste of uh, all of that. It's been uh, quite, uh, quite a concert week. Uh, Andy getting out and enjoying. Oh, yeah. Uh, the concert scene this week. Well, Bruce Springsteen on a Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Really fun. Uh, I was also uh, at that show. And, uh, boy, I mean, completely different shows, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, one, you know, very flashy and, you know, theatrical with all the bells and whistles. There were plenty of pyrotechnics uh, during the Pink Show last night. And then none of that during the Springsteen show. None. Uh, but none needed. Completely, just absolutely a completely different kind of uh, dynamic and uh, performance. 
Agreed. You know, it's funny because I saw him in March. I think I mentioned that to you that I saw him in March in Milwaukee for the first time. That was my first time ever. And the show at Wrigley had more energy, much more energy than that show in March. Yeah, I've seen him a couple of times. And I'm, what, what I noticed is that the show felt a little more theatrical. And I don't mean that in a bad way in any way. But I think it's what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, energy. Um, I, I think it uh, it benefited Bruce Springsteen to have been on Broadway. You remember he did mm-hmm. that a couple of years yeah. ago or something? He did those shows on Broadway, and it just felt like he was being a little more uh, uh, theatrical in his interpretations of the song, which uh, brought you know so much more to it all. Yeah, and that uh, you know the the song he does uh, called "Last Man Standing," which is a solo acoustic version of of the song, and it tells a story about uh, him and a couple of his buddies that were in a garage band back in uh, the fifties. Yeah. yeah. And they played together for three years, and he was with one of the band members who was was dying, and realized that he was the last of the the three to be to be a living. Yeah. And he wrote that song, and he tells a, a kind of a chilling story about that, and uh, puts it into perspective too, saying that was a band that lasted three years, and the East Street Band has gone for fifty. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. That's just amazing. That was a really profound moment. Yeah. Uh, during the show, and he's telling the story of his buddy who passed away. And realizing that you're the last, you know, of that group, you know, something where, you know, hopefully that many of us will <laughs> not hopefully will arrive at that moment. But, uh, you know, hope, hopefully you'll be one of, you know, around to, um, you know, experience uh, that very deep emotion and share the kind of love for your fallen friends uh, when that does happen. So uh, amazing show. Amazing show. You okay, Shawnee, in there? You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. You're kind of quiet today. No, I'm fine. Just, uh, <laughs> you all right? I've got a newsroom to run, and I'm uh, I know you're going about busy. my business. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just seemed kind of quiet today. Did you run out of sweet rolls in there or something? <laughs> no. no, we had plenty of food. You today. having a sugar crash right now? I what, took what's... care of that earlier here, so I might, yeah, maybe in about 20 minutes I'll have the uh, <laughs> a, a sugar overload. Hey, thanks for rushing to my uh, help when I was choking a few minutes ago, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Practically choked to death and my old pal of 40 years does nothing <sighs> hoping that I fell to the ground. <laughs> this is this is Shwani. I'm choking. This is Shwani. Oh, I'll finally get the show to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Last man standing. So I, 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 I take it you <laughs> yeah, wanted me to run. It's that Springsteen thing we were just talking about. <laughs> oh, Dean I had was, to calm Andy Dean down. was the first one to fall, and now it's just me and Andy. <laughs> I had to calm. Maybe I can trip him down the stairs, and I'll be the last one left. <laughs> Andy was on a roll right before the 11 o'clock newscast, uh, singing away oh, in yeah. there. A little bad, bad I had to calm him down. What? You, what, what uh, Springsteen? Oh, yeah, I was just jamming. He was jamming really land, jamming yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. We are a rock and roll group. We're a here rock and roll band. Yep. Andy's just a singer in a rock and roll band. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. group there, right? Moody I love, Blues. Oh, I love Moody the, Blues. I was big into that. I had all their eight tracks. <laughs> Sadly, I'm not kidding. <laughs> By the way, a note to you young broadcasters listening, and I know uh, a lot of uh, youngsters like to listen to the show on Sunday morning for their, you know, for education. 
to learn what not to do. Not, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And here's another example. Uh, don't eat peanuts. During, no, during, no, no. Don't eat peanuts during, if during you're going the show. right before you're going yeah. on here. If they get caught in your throat, right. good luck. You could mm-hmm. choke to death like I almost just did. Popcorn's not good either. Popcorn, no. also not no. good. No. Yeah, those are just many of the things you should not do. Well, <laughs> And, of course, what did I do a couple of times when I was covering for Steve Grzanich on with Bob? Mm. I ate something 30 seconds before I went on. Oh, see, that's not good either. I couldn't tell. <laughs> he just choked himself yeah. up. What would you do if I fell to the ground? If I was choking and I fell to the ground, what would you really? What would you do? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you shouldn't have to think about it. You'd no. Start writing a song. What I would go. <laughs> oh, Dean Play was a record. A, on the ground. Dean was a friend of mine. <laughs> Play a record. <laughs> Put on MacArthur Park. <laughs> we have eight minutes to save him. Otherwise, the show must go on. We've got Cars for Kids commercials to run. We, we don't have time. <laughs> you would just let me die on the ground. No, I would not let you die. Yes, you would. I would not. What would you do if I fell? I'd come in and save you. You would come in and save me. Yeah. I got the defibrillation paddles all ready to go. <laughs> I'm uh, hoping I'm hope I've been waiting for the day that I could You've shock been... you with these paddles. <laughs> Here, take that. I can't just do it for no reason, but if you fall to the ground, then I can say I thought he was having a heart attack. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> Watch your body bounce to vibrate. <laughs> we would save each other. Yes, right? we would. Yeah. Yes, we would. Because heaven knows by the time paramedics would get up here to save us, we'd be, we'd be dead. <laughs> what a lovely subject to be talking about. Today. I know. This is, this is, how did we get off on this in the first place? I say that to myself every single Sunday. Coming up, uh, we'll get to my uh, one-on-one interview with the late William Friedkin. Very sorry to hear of his passing uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, born in Chicago, went to Sen High School. Worked in the mailroom at WGN and uh, became a television director before moving to Hollywood and becoming a film director uh, and winning an Academy Award for his amazing film, The French Connection, and The Exorcist, uh, by the way, a couple of uh, absolute classics. He was uh, back home in Chicago about 10 years ago and visited with us, and we'll share that conversation with you coming up speaking of movies by the way i get probably not surprised if you follow the you know movie performance that um barbie is the number one movie again at the box office i think this is the fourth week in a row now that it's been number one oppenheimer uh, number two i'm going to see it tomorrow oppenheimer or barbie yep. <laughs> oppenheimer <laughs> <laughs> Make I, it a double feature. I think you'll enjoy. Well, you're going to love Oppenheimer. I know I am because it's uh, it's just got your name written all over. You know what I did this week? Went and saw Barbie again. Did you saw it again? Even though I hated it, I don't know. I shouldn't say I hated it. I didn't care for but it. But you still went to see it. But everyone has been saying, "Oh, it's so great! It's wonderful!" Blah blah blah. I thought, what am I missing? Am I missing something? So I said, I'm going to give it a second chance. Went and paid my with my own money. Went and saw it again. 
And now you like it. And now I still don't like it. Oh, and now you still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and now I confirmed how I felt in the first well, place. Speaking of movies and William Friedkin about movies that I liked right out of the gate, I will never forget being on the edge of my seat seeing The French Connection for same, the first time. Same. That chase scene with Gene Hackman. Amazing. Oh. It's one of the classic motion picture scenes of all time. And, of course, being scared to death seeing The Exorcist. I wish I could remember the name of the theater. It's like in Hillside. It's the theater that was in Hillside. It's not there anymore. It's a church now. But that's where I saw The Exorcist for the first time. And I was, am still profoundly terrified when when I see that movie. It is profoundly scary. And that's, it's the subject matter, but it's the direction of William Friedkin. You know, also that. You know what would have been good in uh, The Exorcist if Barbie had shown up? (laughs) (laughs) Right in the middle of the green pea soup scene, suddenly Barbie walks. Dancing into the room. (laughs) Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. (laughs) Even this music gives me the creeps. But uh, I needed to uh, play it, a little bit of it at least anyway, to uh, set up the genius that we were given by Chicagoan William Friedkin, Oscar-winning director, uh, got his start working in the mailroom at WGN-TV, became a television director there, and uh, then moved on to Hollywood and became one of the top filmmakers in his 30s with movies like The Exorcist, from which we get this haunting Uh, theme music, Tubular Bells, performed by Mike Oldfield, and of course the uh, amazing The French Connection. Uh, William Friedkin uh, Friedkin was uh, 87 years old, won Best Director for uh, directing The French Connection, and uh, was an amazing guy. I mean, really uh, very down-to-earth, very very likable, very uh, charismatic guy. Ten years ago, uh, William Friedkin was in Chicago, and uh, we had. Oh, I got to turn that music off. <laughs> I'm expecting Linda Blair to walk into the room <laughs> at any time now, levitating above me. That is the creepiest music. That movie, that movie, that music uh, is just perpetually creepy to me. Um, ten years ago, William Friedkin was here in Chicago. And uh, had a great conversation with him over at WGN-TV about his career and uh, growing up in Chicago, went to Sen High School, uh, and uh, thought we would uh, go back into the archives this morning to remember the great William Friedkin. The Academy Award-winning director of The French Connection and The Exorcist, William Friedkin, born here in Chicago, got his start. Here at WGN Television, he tells the story of his 50-plus year filmmaking career in his new memoir called The Friedkin Connection. Welcome home. Oh, thanks, Dean. It's a pleasure to be here. I used to work in this building. Give us the the WGN uh, history, because you actually started in the mailroom when WGN was downtown. Right. Well, I came to get a job right after high school, and I didn't want to go to college. Not because we were poor, but we were poor. I just didn't want to spend another day in a classroom. Yeah. But uh, so I saw an ad in the paper uh, for young men 
start in the mailroom and work your way up in live television. And after about a year and a half in the mailroom, I became a floor manager. And a year later, I became a live TV director. I was in my teens. I did Garfield Goose, Lunchtime Little Theater, They Stand Accused, the Chicago Symphony, news programs, cooking shows, everything. You know, people know you best, of course, from The Exorcist and French Connection, uh, among others, although your filmography is, is vast. Did you have any idea the, the impact The Exorcist was going to have when it came out? No. Still today, people still consider it the most disturbing, the scariest film that's ever been made. Good. That's why they pay to get in. You know, uh, The Exorcist is a great story about the mystery of faith. It's based on an actual case that took place in 1949 in Silver Spring, Maryland. It wasn't disturbing to me, Dean. It was interesting. It was fascinating. Yeah. And I never thought of it as a horror film. The stories uh, that you tell about Mercedes McCambridge, who did The Voice, mm-hmm. uh, and the method acting that she went through mm-hmm. in order to create what she went through are disturbing in themselves, but also yeah. kind of amusing. Well, she sat in a chair like this to record the demon voice. She asked me to tie her hands behind her back, <laughs> and she actually sat squat-legged on a chair like this. So she was in a squat position, and she had been an alcoholic and then went through AA. And she said, you know, in order for me to do this, I've got to go off the wagon. I've got a drink, uh, and I've got to swallow raw eggs and smoke cigarettes. And she had two priests in the studio with her at all times because she was Catholic and she needed counseling and she would go into the most outrageous paroxysms and uh, tortured herself to produce that demon voice. French Connection is another that we're not going to have time to dig into greatly but one of the stories that you tell is how the studio wanted you to cut some out trim it down a little bit. They wanted to change it, you know, and I thought it was pretty damn good. (laughs) And and the guy who was running the studio said, well, you got to cut two frames off this shot and two frames off another four frames. And I said to my producer, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Uh, He might be the head of the studio, but he's a moron. He was going to come back in a week to see the changes. I said to my producer, we're not going to change a thing. When he comes back here, you tell him the changes were great and everything worked and thank you. And he gave him a hug and the guy saw the same picture, the same picture he had seen 10 days before. And he said, well, it's much improved. Everything I learned about the films I've made, I learned right here. And this is still my spiritual home. I would move back here if I could get my wife to do it. But my wife doesn't have as great memories of the city as I do. There are uh, fantastic stories in the Friedkin Connection uh, that is just out. Uh, must read. Must read. And uh, I appreciate thank you, you coming Gene. by. Welcome back home. Oh, thank let's you. Let's go down it's to a, the mailroom for old times. Let's sake. go down to the Berghof. Oh, now we're to, talking. Uh, I Mr. Wish. Beef. I wish. Mr. You remember Beef. Mr. Beef? Let's go get a sandwich, you and I. Okay. You know, wet with sweet peppers. Yeah. Right. I loved that guy. He was uh, so down to earth. Uh, and you, you can tell just his personality, uh, you know, the, the head of the studio, he's a moron. <laughs>
He was just a, such a great guy. I'm uh, so sorry to hear of his passing. The the great William Friedkin, Oscar-winning director, William Friedkin for uh, The French Connection, but also, uh, you know, his other film credits include To Live and Die in L.A. and Cruisin' and Rules of Engagement, did a TV remake of 12 Angry Men. He directed episodes of The Twilight Zone, later versions, of course, Rebel Highway, CSI, uh, Crime Scene Investigation, and uh, so many others. Uh, one of our one of our great directors of all time, uh, the great William Friedkin. So uh, let me take a break, and when we come back, I'll give you the latest box office numbers of uh, what's what's out there right now. I've, uh, as I mentioned a moment moment ago, uh, I went to see Barbie for a second time. I rarely do this. You know, it, I, I, I just sort of feel, uh, you know, if I don't get the movie the first time, maybe your storytelling uh, was not as clear as it ought to have been. Because I, you know, I feel, uh, I, I feel like I sort of get most movies the first time if they're presented properly. Uh, and I went to see the Barbie movie and was disappointed. Uh, and uh, a lot of people were not disappointed. You know, and there were people who had just been telling me how much they uh, enjoyed it. Everyone's opinions are valid. As far as I'm concerned, there are no right or wrong reviews for anything. You know, you some people like steak and some people don't like steak. You know, this is just there's something for everyone. As the great Roy Leonard used to say, there's a reason Baskin Robbins sells 31 flavors. There's something for everyone. Remember Roy uh, saying that very clearly. So I went to see Barbie for a second time. Not just two hours of my life I'm never going to get back, but now four hours uh, and some change <laughs> that I'm never going to get back. I, I watched it again. I watched it with the more critical eye. I watched it, uh, you know, with the knowledge in my head of what uh, a lot of people told me that they got out of the movie. And I just did not get those things out of the movie. I mean, it's just it, it's it's not a, a movie for me. It's not in my wheelhouse. I still think the movie is overstuffed. I think there's too much stuff going on in the movie. At, you know, at times it wants to be a playful, satirical uh, comedy. And at times it wants to be a very serious statement uh, about uh, the empowerment of women. Both valid. Both super valid. But there's so much stuffed into this movie. I just felt like it was, you know, one one thing kind of washed out the other. To me, to a lot of people... It was fantastic. It's the greatest movie that they've ever seen. I uh, personally, I disagree with that. Uh, I'm wondering now that the movie has been out for four weeks and it's clearly one of the, you know, going to be the biggest movie success story of the year. A lot of you are going to see it. I wonder how, you know, a lot of you are coming out uh, of this movie and what your reviews and your reactions have been. Uh, don't have to agree with me at all. I, I'm just curious in a wide range of reviews that we may hear of this movie. If you went to see it, what did you think of Barbie? Let's get to the phone lines next. No question about it. America and the world really has Barbie fever. It is uh, the movie story of the year. Uh, now taking in, let's see if we have a uh, total here. Let's see. Da, da, da. Past four weeks, Barbie has uh, been the number one movie 
and has now just gone past the $500 million mark domestically. Uh, This past weekend, Barbie has uh, taken in another $33.7 million, uh, and Oppenheimer remains the number two movie of the uh, week. These two movies are, uh, you know, the one-two punch of motion pictures out there right now. Have you seen the Barbie movie? I mean, this is, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, probably the majority of people, I guess, that are going to see it, that at least talk to me about it, uh, are saying that they're enjoying the movie. Uh, uh, as I had mentioned, I, it's, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, I, I didn't care for it. Went to see it a second time to see, you know, what am I missing and really, honestly, my opinion didn't really change that much. But, you know, everyone's opinion, everyone's review is valid. And uh, I'm interested in yours at 312-981-7200. Linda, let's start off with you. What did you think of the Barbie movie? Oh, hi, Dean. <laughs> I love your show. Thank you. Uh, yeah, by coincidence, I went yesterday for my second time. Oh. Because I went first week for the first time. And... Um, it went real fast for me the first time, but yesterday I just got it more, and it's about it's really a good comedy because it was not totally serious how men uh, treat women in the past. A lot of men don't do that anymore, but um, it was uh, good. I just enjoyed it as a woman. I don't, you know, my husband wouldn't go see it if you paid him. <laughs> <laughs> He's sitting right here. He says that's true. Um, yeah. So um, I'm hearing yeah, that I, a lot. Also, by the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing so, from a lot of people are going. Yeah, I'm going with my girlfriends. My husband won't come. Yeah, exactly. So I think women understand it more. Yeah. Because uh, being held down and whatnot, and the macho thing with the horses. And uh, they even included, in my opinion, Monty Python, because they walked in the on the stage, you know, in horses and galloping. They were pretend, pretend galloping, Python. yeah, the way they did yeah. in the Monty Python, the Spamalot and all that, oh, right? Yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, and uh, the horses, the point of the horses, and yippee and all that. So anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, and, so you, uh, so you liked it even better the, the second time because you were able think, to absorb it a little more. Yeah, exactly. Well, I got to uh, gotta say, watching it a second time, it, it, it still felt a little overstuffed to me, but not, <laughs> sure. as much, not as much as the first time. I will say that. Yeah. I mean, they do throw a lot at you in this movie. Yeah. Uh, yes. But... Um, it's a lecture about women and their it place is. in the world and the way they've always been held down, which that could have been cut a little shorter. I now that I'm talking about it, but because um, um, what's what's her name? America, America. America. Yeah, America yeah. is how you say her name. America oh. Ferrara. Uh, yeah, she's she, she gives a couple yeah. of speeches in the movie that are. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. women empowerment uh, speeches, which you know is perfectly, perfectly fine. It just felt like out of place in this yeah. movie that, that was, was like Pee Wee's Playhouse up until that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, and what uh, my question is: Was that the the little uh, teenager who played uh, her daughter? Is that her daughter? Because they look so much alike. They did look alike. I don't, I don't remember the actress's name, but it's not her daughter. No. Oh, okay, because. Yeah. You know, that attitude of teenager, I can relate. <laughs> <That's> completely dismissive. 
Parents know nothing. Parents don't know anything kind of feeling. Yes. I think right. that, that that's something awesome. we can all agree on. I appreciate yeah. your call, Linda. Thank you very much. And uh, this is Jerry. You're on WGN. Hello. I'm a husband that did go. God bless you. And, uh, well, and you who know, said you weren't out it, there? But I, I thought it would have been much more relevant 50 years ago. Huh. I thought it was more the victimization of women than the empowerment. Um, although I thought I thought Oppenheimer had a lot more, uh, a lot of stuff going on as well. But I thought the best part of the movie, the most relevant, was the last ten minutes with Rhea Perlman. I, I thought that was uh, uh, strong, and I think that was much more relevant. But uh, I think these young girls today have no idea the life their grandmothers lived in terms of, uh, you know, uh, in terms of discrimination and whatnot. Yeah, well, maybe the the movie, you know, maybe that's a, a statement. I, I hadn't really thought of that. That the movie does provide uh, to younger audiences what women in previous generations went through so they can enjoy the lives that they're living now. Never thought of that. Indeed. So you didn't think there's too much going on in Oppenheimer? Uh, Well, it just... No, honestly, I didn't, because I I felt like it was telling this very complex story. So it all felt in context uh, to me. It's actually a longer movie. Oppenheimer is longer which, yeah. you know, normally I don't like, but I was just completely drawn into the story of Oppenheimer. I like I, I like serious movies more than I like, you know, silly ones, I guess. I think Oppenheimer is a movie for me that I had to go see twice to, uh, you know, tie up some loose ends. Because, yeah. You know, in terms of who was who and whatnot, it was a little bit confusing. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see where you might uh, say that. When I get an extra three hours, maybe I'll go see it again, because I did enjoy that one very much. Jerry, fantastic points, and I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Because we have special programming coming up, right? We have uh, exactly. ra- race yes. car action. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that means I get off early today. You do by about thirty minutes. Woo-hoo. You just you just now realize that <laughs> when I went through the full rehearsal of the show, this they morning, didn't tell you. Nobody told me. <laughs> I have a half an hour of a show planned that uh, I, maybe I can use it next week. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Put it in the vault. Save it. Yep. That's what I would do. It's just looking. Just through. make sure it's not dated. Uh. Well, everything we do is just dated. <laughs> Yeah, this show is incredibly dated. <laughs> um, I was just looking through social media, and we've been talking about the Bruce Springsteen concert mm-hmm. uh, that uh, both Andy and I went to, not together. Correct. Uh, but we were, b- happened to both be at the Wednesday night show of uh, The Boss. Isn't it funny, uh, Andy, uh, during Bruce Springsteen concerts? I've always thought this was funny. Uh, when people are shouting out Bruce. Yeah. It sounds like they're booing. I know. They're Boo. not booing. They're bruising. Boos. Boos. Uh, but uh, that and the Pink concert that I went to last night at Soldier Field, uh, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, and, you know, while you know, you're waiting for the show to start, whatever, people come over. They enjoy the show. I had several people uh, come over and say uh, they enjoy uh, listening to this show, believe it or not. Nice. I can hardly believe it that anybody likes this show. That's incredible and also sweet. It's very, very nice. People say nice things about Schwani. I have to pretend to agree with them. (laughs) See, I know they like me. No, they do. People love you. 
I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank yeah. you. I'm trying to get a Dave Schwann bobblehead made. <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. Wouldn't that be awesome? A Schwanny bobblehead? <laughs> oh, man, you could like a, it could have music with it, the far Funk forecast music <laughs> along with it. And then bouncing around and just pull a little lever and it says, oh, I think it's fine. Yeah, I've got a newsroom to run. <laughs> I've got a newsroom to run. <laughs> <laughs> his head his head uh, bobbles and swings just like it does in real life <laughs> oh, that's good but anyway i'm looking at the social you know people come over and they uh say nice things to us and then, then they want to take pictures uh so you know i'm always happy to to do that uh, i was at the bud billigan uh parade yesterday had an amazing time there by the way that is just one of the most fun experiences every year I enjoy being there, but we can take a lot of pictures with people, and they post them on uh, social media, and uh, I'm scrolling through uh, the various social medias here. Not that I'm not paying attention to your every word, uh, Shwani, during the newscast, but I can, turns out I can do you both. You can multitask. I can do both. Uh, and I'm looking here, and uh, when did my head get this big? In what way are you stating It that? just, I look like a bobblehead in these oh. pictures. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant it in another manner, but no. You mean that I'm fat? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. Uh, it just looks like my head is gigantic. <laughs> I look drunk, and I, oh, terrific! And I look like my head is gigantic, and I didn't have a, a drop to, to drink anything. I had water at both events, all events. I, all I have is water. I hardly drink at all anymore. I practically stopped. Uh, well, you can't afford to drink out there either. It's too expensive <laughs> yeah, to drink Wrigley? at Wrigley yeah. Field. Are you kidding? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I didn't have time to fill out all the forms to get a second <laughs> mortgage on my house in order to buy a beer at Wrigley Field. Did so. you have? Did you have to go through the line now to um, get a wristband to prove that you're 21? Well, I had to get a wristband to be on the field. My, mm-hmm. my seats were on the field, so you go in, you go to try to get on the field. And then they tell you you need a wristband to get on the field. I said, well, here's my, I've got my digital ticket. You know, they do everything digitally now. Mm-hmm. Oh, you didn't say, perhaps you may know who I am. Don't you know who this big head is? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I was like, well, why didn't somebody tell me when I was walking in that I needed to get a wristband? Uh, yeah. So I go back and I get the wristband and, you know, all, all that. But no, you didn't, you didn't I, I don't think you needed a wristband to buy beer. No. You did not. Yeah. No. You did in the bleachers. For a ball game? Yep. Okay. Drunky. <laughs> <laughs> tried to, I tried to get a beer for myself and my godson, and uh, uh, they said, well, where's your wristband? I said, what? And they said, well, you have to go through that line over there, show oh, them on photo ID, oh, and yeah. then okay. get that, because that now proves that, that you're over you, 21. Yeah. Right. Old enough. Yep. But I said I'm a senior citizen. Yeah, that's true. They said, "No, you need to need the wristband." Boy, is that ever true? <laughs> I said, "Do I get a discount?" No, you need the wristband. <laughs> and Schwanny's godson is Uncle Uncle Schwanny, I just want to get a beer. <laughs> are you one of those guys that save all the cups? What are, what are they called? No, when you put oh, all the cups together, we had cups, that. Cups you should have seen yeah, the snake. stack yeah. of cups. Yeah. That was passed down the row. It had to have been six feet high. <laughs> People just putting their empty cups in there, yep, just, yep. just to elongate it's, and it. just and, and you pass it down just to see how big it it, it can grow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's why that's why I like staying at home. <laughs> you know, they have a new thing. I think it's new this year. You can buy a a beer in a in a bat. It's a plastic mold of a bat. Oh yeah, I've seen those. And you can drink out of that, and then you get to keep the bat. But it's an it's a hollow plastic yeah. bat though. Yeah, it looks like a uh, you know like a bat like a wiffle ball bat that had the top ripped off. Right. Why would anybody want that? Because it's uh, it's prevents you from having to go back in line too. Because oh, it's a little larger than the rest. It's like about ten yeah. beers in one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's quite the quite the experience. It is. It is. Sounds like I've never been out of my house before. <laughs> <laughs> it's crowded. There's too crowded. It's too many beers. It's too many. I'm just concerned with. Then you were talking about parking and not getting home until well, four thirty this does morning. Take a long time to get out. Yeah, it does. <laughs> There's too many people. Yeah, the problem, you know, with, with Addison going back toward the Kennedy, it's it's one lane. Right. And then, you know, you try Irving Park, and that gets backed up because people figure, okay, well, Addison's only one lane. Let's go Irving Park. And then it gets crowded in both. It's crowded there. Yeah. It's because of that bike lane thing that we were talking yeah. about last week. Yeah, where, that's part of the problem. Made, they've made everything one lane. Uh, stupidest thing that uh, has ever happened <laughs> on the streets. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I have, may have to rethink uh, taking pictures with people. <laughs> <laughs> Not liking this uh, gigantor look that I have. <laughs> a gigantor. I've been told, too, now that what you have to do to, to take a good picture is to have the camera high. High. I, I, yeah. I, I, and that supposedly cuts down on uh, on that issue. <laughs> on the giant head? Well, on the giant, you know. Gigantor. If you're, if you're, yeah. There's it, one it makes picture. you look a, a little more flatter, yeah. flattering, yeah. There's one picture of me with somebody. That, <laughs> my glasses, they're like normal size glasses, right? In, mm-hmm. re, in real life. They look like five times bigger than Harry Carey's. Harry Carey's glasses. <laughs> they, it looks like I put a coffee table on my face. <laughs> a glass coffee table on my face. Put them in the middle. Never knew that John Denver had a song called Homegrown Tomatoes. Homegrown Tomatoes. What did I Oh my, just learning about this song. I love it. And it ties in perfectly with what I'm going to be doing on my TV cooking segment this coming Wednesday. Uh, I'll be uh, cooking up several recipes using homegrown tomatoes right out of my backyard. Like like lots of you, I put my tomato plants in, uh, you know, late May, mid to late May, and have been uh, watering and weeding patiently. And uh, my tomatoes are, they're, they're ready, ready to be picked. And there's, like John Denver is singing here, nothing more delicious than a homegrown tomato. So I've got uh, several recipes that I'm going to do. We have uh, a few minutes here before we get to uh, racing action uh, today. Uh, but uh, I wanted to open up the phone lines for what you do with your homegrown tomatoes. Do you have uh, something special? Let me start off with something that I remember as a kid. I had an eighth grade teacher at Edward Coles High School on the South Side named uh, Catherine Costakis. That was my eighth grade teacher and also a science teacher. And uh, she occasionally would send me to a little corner grocery store to, for her lunch. And I would go to the store and order the, her sandwich that she wanted, which was, and I thought it was the most peculiar thing I had ever heard of, and still do a little bit, peanut butter and tomato sandwich. 
homegrown tomato on, you know, whatever bread that you want. I think if I were making this today, I would put it on a nice sourdough bread. But you can put it on any kind of bread that you want. On the bread goes a layer of mayonnaise on one side of the bread. On the other side of the bread, peanut butter, your favorite peanut butter. Slices of tomato on the sandwich. Fold the whole thing over together. Now you've got mayonnaise, peanut butter, and tomato, a P, B, and T, if you will. And uh, it's supposed to be a delicious sandwich. She ate these things all the time. And, you know, like any good uh, eighth grader, I thought, well, she's out of her mind. <laughs> who's, eating a, who's eating a peanut butter and tomato sandwich except Mrs. Costakis? And uh, she, she used to order them all the time. Send me to the store to go get them for her. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try it this week. You know what? I've never tried tried it all these years I've been thinking about this. I've never tried one, but I'm going to give that a, a try on uh, TV this week. It's one of the things that uh, I'm going to make. I'm also going to make something that I make all the time at home, but uh, I'm so lucky right now that my cherry tomatoes are going nuts, and I've got tons of them. You know, when the tomatoes come in, you get a million of them, right? Uh, you got to figure out things to do with them. A lot of people make tomato sauce. I've done that in the past. But uh, I'm going to make this super simple uh, 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 caprese salad uh, that really doesn't involve much work at all. I take cherry tomatoes because I love them. They're so uh, concentrated with flavor and so sweet. I take the cherry tomatoes. Sometimes I'll cut them in half if they're a little on the larger side. Sometimes I just leave them whole. Uh, I take the little mozzarella balls. You know, you can buy mozzarella at the store in several different fashions. But you've seen it in the store where it comes in the little plastic container, right? Uh, and they're like uh, like the size of a grape or a cherry, something like that. And you put that in with the cherry tomatoes. A little olive oil on there. A little uh, bit of uh, salt. I don't put the pepper on there. Just a little salt. A really good quality uh, olive oil on there. And then I take some fresh basil, which I also have uh, growing in my yard, my little my little farm in the backyard. Um, and uh, I, I you know get several leaves of the uh, the basil, uh, give it a nice rinse, a careful drying. You don't want to bruise up your your basil. Got to be careful with it. I roll it up on my cutting board. I put one leaf on top of another and r- kind of roll it as if I'm rolling a, a cigarette. Uh, and then, you know, chop it into pieces. Uh, so now you have sort of have basil shred, and the oils of the basil leaf are super fresh. Put that on right at the last minute. Oh, you know what I put before the, the basil? I've got the tomatoes. I've got the mozzarella. I've got the olive oil and the salt. I take a squirt of balsamic glaze. You can use balsamic dressing, you know, vinegar if you want to. But I like the glaze. It's a little sweeter and goes, I think, goes better with the tomatoes. I put a little squeeze of the the balsamic on there. And then I take this shredded up basil and sprinkle that uh, all over the thing. It is the, it's so easy and simple. Uh, You know, sometimes with, you know, regular tomatoes, you have to core the tomatoes, got to slice them just right. You got to slice the mozzarella. This could not be any easier, and it's, uh, you know, everything's in a sort of a little ball fashion. So it's pretty, it's uh, and pretty darn delicious at the same time. So we're going to do the, uh, 
We're going to do the mini Caprice uh, version uh, on Wednesday as well. I'm also going to do a uh, tomato and cucumbers uh, open face sandwich. It's uh, a nice piece of uh, you know bread that you toast or grill. Uh, you can use like a you know French bread, Vienna bread. Uh, uh, again, a nice piece of sourdough bread would be delicious. Uh, toast it up a little bit, not too much, but toast it up just a little bit. Onto which uh, uh, you mix uh, some uh, cream cheese and some uh, tomato uh, or uh, cucumber rather that you shred and mix it in with the uh, cream cheese. Put a thin layer on top of that bread. Put a piece of uh, nice homegrown tomato on top of that, a little bit of salt, and uh, call it a day. It's a nice, fresh, delicious tomato uh, delight. Um, you know, so we're gonna we're gonna have several recipes uh, using nothing but homegrown tomatoes. It's coming Wednesday on my uh, WGN TV uh, cooking segment. Now we're getting ready for the Verizon two hundred. At the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that's going to be coming up right at 12.30, just a few minutes from now. So I'm going to say goodbye to you now. We'll see you next Sunday morning, as always. We'll see you tomorrow morning, uh, 8 to 8.30, as we always do on Bob Surratt Show, and uh, tomorrow morning on the WGN-TV Morning News. Tomorrow morning, I will be reviewing MJ the Musical. I'm going to go see it today. I'll review it for you tomorrow morning. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday.